Father, I thank you. Father, just that little bit. God, it's not got to be something big in production. Father, it's just that little bit. The little giving and the little receiving, Father, of your spirit can change our whole world. Father, I thank you for the sight. I thank you for fresh eyes. I thank you, God, for fresh perspective from each and every one. Not only spiritual perspective, but physical perspective. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll just say this, Debbie and Merced, receive your healing. Amen. All right, well, turn around and tell somebody hello. Give them a high five. Pull their hair or something. Thank you, Father. Man, good stuff this morning, huh? Did y'all enjoy that worship this morning? Man, that was good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Well, how y'all doing this morning? It's good to see you guys. I have been gone... I'm sorry. <laughs> Hope that wasn't my voice. I have uh, I have not been here in three weeks, so I've missed you guys. It seems like forever. I, uh, three weeks ago, we were in uh, San Antonio at a cowboy ministers conference, and good stuff there. Or we were traveling there. Uh, two weeks ago, I was in Merced, California, preaching at the church there. And then last weekend, I was in Oklahoma with my mom. And I went to a church called A Glorious Church. That's the name of their church, A Glorious Church Fellowship. And uh, Pastor Chip Brim was the pastor. And, man, it was it was a, a, an uncovered treasure last week. I, I found a treasure at that place. So um, I talked to Pastor Chip and asked him if he would want to come here because he just fit right in. And uh, so such a, such a good dude. Um, anyways... Um, I've missed you guys. I have totally missed you guys. And I hope that you've missed me. Uh, if, if this is your first time here, if you've been here in the last three weeks and you've never met me, my name is Darren Gleghorn. I'm the lead pastor here at Cowboy Church, co-founder with my wife and, and co-pastoring with her. It's, it's a, we make a good team. And uh, so I'm so glad that you came this morning. And, and, um, or if you're watching online, thank you for joining us online. We, uh, we would love for you, if you're joining us online, we would love for someday, if you are in our area, you can come see us, and uh, we've got a chair saved for you, so come on and come see us. So with that, um, if you have your Bibles with you, go to Romans chapter 12, and uh, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We do encourage you that if you do have the old school Bible, you know, pages and ink and all that kind of stuff. We do ask you, you know, if you, you're coming to church, bring your Bible with you. But we do help those who don't have a Bible. We put it up on the screen, so we'll, we'll help you out in that. Amen? Um, so with everything happening around um, our country and the Christian world, 
right now. I know Lynette talked about it last week at Asbury University out in Kentucky. We're seeing a lot of things happen out there. We're seeing, um, uh, you know, a lot of people are calling a revival. I don't, I don't, you know, diss that. I, I respect that. Um, I call it an awakening because, because right, revival takes a little bit to really define. But I'm not downing it either because I call it an awakening. There's an awakening beginning to happen in the church. It's beginning to spread. And as those things spread, there has to be a transformation that takes place for revival to be defined. And so in in all that, I've been thinking a whole lot about about uh, transformation. I've been thinking a lot about revival. I've thought a lot about uh, awakenings. And, and I believe this is a great awakening that's happening, that's coming. It's going to be spreading. It's not just in Kentucky. It's starting to spread uh, among uh, the younger generation. And, uh, man, it's going to be, it's going to be cool to, to see that in our day and time. And so I've been thinking a lot about transformation, and so that's what I'm going to just continue in that vein of my thought and, and talk about transformation because transformation is, is all looking forward. Transformation is about looking forward. It's look, about looking to our future. It's about looking to the fullness that we've been given. God has given us everything. When Jesus went to the cross and died for us, he gave us everything. Amen? Amen. So we've already received by faith his fullness. We already have his fullness. Now we need to tap into that. And the way we begin to tap into that is to be transformed. Transformation helps us tap into that. Amen? Amen. And so um, I was thinking about all this here in, in chapter 12 of Romans. And um, what I believe God is doing is he's, he's preparing us for the future us. It's so easy to look at the now, the nasty here and now. But there's a goodness, there's a fullness, there's a transformation, there's a, an awakening and a revival coming to us. It's got to happen to us personally before we can begin to, to give that out, before we start releasing that into this world in which we've been given, amen, which we're living and been given. So here in Romans chapter 12, I, I love this scripture, and I think I, I read this several weeks ago. But Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says this. The Apostle Paul's writing, I'm reading from the New King James. It's all going to be old school New King James today, so none of this fancy passion stuff, all right? None of this, this fancy amplified version or anything. The only way it's amplified is if they turn my mic up, okay? So Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, I beseech you. That, that word beseech means to urge. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I love that word reasonable there because it's, it's a word that, that, that means it's, a, it's not hard to do. It's something that just begins to flow out of you as you seek God. And he said, this is your reasonable service. That word service means worship. This is your reasonable worship, hospitable worship. Verse 2, he says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
I love this word transform here. The word transform in this, in this uh, scripture, there's only four times in the whole Bible that this word is used. And it is the word metamorpho in the Greek. It's where we get our, um, where we get our word metamorphosis. Like when a cute little caterpillar turns into a beautiful butterfly, right? That's that metamorphosis that, that we know. Um, so I looked this up in, in the dictionary and metamorpho literally, literally means the process of transformation from a crude, unrefined form to a pure, uncontaminated form in multiple stages. It's not just from here to there and you're done. It is about multiple stages. It's, it's things that God, the process that God takes you through. It's the process that you yield yourself to. And so I've been, I've been thinking about this. I've been meditating and, and, uh, and pondering on this, uh, this word transformation. Kind of like Pastor Lynette has been, um, she's been meditating and, and pondering and thinking on the word rest. And she talked a little bit about that last week, right? You did, didn't you? I listened to the right message. Okay. Um, so, so here in Romans chapter 12, verse two, it says, be not conformed to this world. The word conformed there from the American dictionary of the English language, 1828 version says this. It says conform means to made to resemble assuming the same form to reduce to a like shape yielding or complying. I love that, uh, that reduced to a like shape because in a place of transformation, transformation is kind of messy. It's, it's really custom because it, 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 it represents something that really doesn't have a whole lot of order to it, but it has a future. And therefore, the future is a conforming. But if we're conforming to the world, as as this says in Romans 12, 2, he says, as you're conforming, don't conform to the world because that is a reduction of what God wants to do. Amen? It, it is reducing ourself. It is reducing who God has made us into a like manner or a like form. And he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Metamorphosis. Be, be yielding to what God wants you to do, to be who God has called you to be. So a lot of times, you know, when I've read this scripture, I've, I've, I've always thought that conforming is competing with transformation. That in this scripture... There, there's this competition. It's the, it's the world versus who God has called you to be. It's, it's the competition of, of the world and the renewed mind. But conform, to, to conform is not a bad thing. Conforming is not a negative. In this scripture, it has a negative connotation to it. But conforming is not a negative. In, in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it says, um, somewhere, it says, God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. So conforming is not all negative because 
God wants us to be conformed to his son, right? He wants us to be conformed to his son. And we see when, 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 when God shows up in the last days, when he, when Jesus comes back, he's got Jesus. This is just my brain working. He's got Jesus by his side. And he's looking at Jesus and looking at the detail of who he is. And then he's looking around at us. And if we look like him, he's going to say, come with me, come with me, come with me, come with me. See, there's an identity that takes place when we are conformed to the likeness of Jesus. Because the identity now becomes we become like the son of God. We become sons. We become daughters. We become the likeness of who Jesus is. It's going to be easy for God to pick out who's who. Because if you look like the world, he ain't going to pick you. If he does, he's just going to take you through some new work, you know, to get you looking that way. It's going to be a body off restoration. You're going to put you on the rotisserie. You know, when they, when they, when they, uh, customize a car or something like that. My dad did a lot of this, but he never had a rotisserie. But they would take the body off the frame, put it in the rotisserie, and it could spin so that they could they could restore it. Some of y'all are going to be on the rotisserie by the time we get out of here. <laughs> Me included. Amen. There, there is this thing called transformation. And a good example of it, besides the caterpillar and the, and the butterfly, is gold. This morning I, I wore my wedding ring. I haven't worn this gold wedding ring in a long time. I wear these rubber ones, you know, for when I go to the gym. And uh, so I, I haven't worn my, my gold ring. As a matter of fact, it's pretty big. It comes right off. But the thing about it is, is gold is not just something that happens. You have to dig for it. Men go to great lengths to dig up the, 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 the ore that is, that houses the gold. And then it has to be refined. It has to be heated up. It has to, it has to go through a, pr- a process of extracting that gold by heat. And so as that gold begins to, to separate from the, from the, from the, uh, stuff the 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 rock that's there it begins to separate and they begin to take the rock or the the trash away and bring the purity of the gold to to the surface but even that when it's just liquid there is no there is no conforming to it it's i mean you pour it out it's mess but in the midst of that now they can pour it into a mold and it can conform to that mold and it can become good stuff, right? That's where it becomes valuable. You are the same way. As you become a Christian and as you go through that process, that refining process and the heat, the mess of life begins to come against you, all of a sudden there is a separation of what is to be pure and what is to be trash to be thrown away. I don't want to be trashy. But I know that there is some in there. And so every time I go through this transformation, every time I go through this place where God begins to purify and refine me, there is some trash that needs to be taken away so that we can step into that, so that I can step into that transformation and conform to who God, uh, 
to who God has called me to be as his son. Amen? Amen. I, I love Isaiah chapter 13, verse 12. It says, I will make man more precious than gold. Gold is a good thing. But God says the value of mankind is far greater. What I want to do in your process is far greater. Far greater than the value of gold. Amen. See, what I'm learning and what I've learned over the years is that God has hope in our process. He does not fear our process. God does not fear our failure. He chose you. He picked you. He brought you out in spite of you. Yeah. In spite of you, he chose you. He picked you. He put you into this process because he has confidence that he knows who you are, what your future is. And let me tell you something. Your junk is not a surprise to God. You know, you, you fail and you sin or something like that. God says, oh, no, I didn't know that was there. God says, I already know. I already know. I'm not disappointed. Come back. Come back. I got bigger, better plans for you. Amen? God doesn't fear our failure, but he delights in our process. He delights when we, when we repent. He, he delights when we go to him and ask for forgiveness. He delights when we recognize our shortcomings and our failures and bring them to him. Because now, when we bring them to him, now he's got something to work with, draw out, transform, and, 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 uh, yeah, conform. That's why God wants to see us in this scripture being transformed by the renewing of our mind because we're conforming to his son. See, God's original plans for humanity was to be like Jesus. I mean, the first, the, the New Testament calls the first Adam. We know the first Adam, right? We're going to read about the first Adam here in a minute. But the first Adam was totally, it, it says that God breathed into his body. And it wasn't just a breath. It just, it wasn't just the breath from God's lungs that brought Adam to life because God's breath also held the blood of who God was, the DNA. And when he breathed in, he breathed not only air and oxygen, he breathed into Adam's body his blood. God's blood. That's, that's exactly what Adam means. The name Adam means Adam. Adam. That dom is the blood. It's the blood of God that was flowing through his veins. And so that's God's whole plan. He wanted us to be, he wanted Adam to, which was his son on earth, wanted to, for him to be just like Jesus. How many of you know that he failed? Amen. God wasn't upset about him failing. God's original plans for humanity was for us to, to, to be transformed into the image of Jesus. Amen? Amen? So where did the breakdown happen? I am so glad you asked that question because um, I know you've been on the edge of your seat waiting to ask that question. Where did the breakdown happen? Well, it happened in the Garden of Eden. So if you would go over to, to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is a, 
is something that uh, it's it's that original story from creation. A um, couple of months ago, Lynette and I got to go out to Kentucky to see the uh, Ark. We went through the Ark Experience and the Creation Museum. Phenomenal. If you get a chance to go, go. Because they talk about this creation, and that's that's kind of where we're, we're jumping off of right now is talking uh, of, of what Adam in the creation. See, the creation happened. And when creation happened, Adam was created in that creation time. Right? So Adam, Adam was made and then Eve was built. He took a rib out of Adam and built Eve. Some of y'all get that after a while, you know. I, I think that Adam looked at Eve and said, man, she's built. He said, <laughs> She's built. And then it says that God brought the Eve to Adam and he said, Whoa, man. And from that time forward, she's called woman. So Eve was built and then the serpent came to Eve and deceived. So let's look here at Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. You ready? Are you ready? Okay. All right. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst or the middle of the garden... God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you shall you will be like you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and gave, uh, she took the fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they saw that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And when they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam was Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, there's a few things that that go on here. Back in verse three, it said, um, "When when the when the serpent asked Eve, has the Lord really said this that you can't eat of the, all the trees of the garden?" And, and Eve said something here that was, that stood out to me. It said, um, we shall not eat it, the tree that's in the midst of the garden, we shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Now, if you go back to, to in the, in the previous chapter, when God set those trees up and when he told them what they could do and what they couldn't do in the garden, 
He didn't say, if you touch it, you'll die. He said, if you eat it, you'll die. But he said nothing about touching it. It was that statement that Eve made that began to drive guilt and shame to come into the garden. Never before had there been guilt. Because what Eve did is she said, she repeated what God said, but then she exaggerated, fluffed up the next part. She stretched the truth just a little bit. It was true that God said, don't eat of it, but she exaggerated and went one step further. Now, it could, it could be, I got some Snickers up here. I don't know. It, it could be, that um, that they didn't even want to touch it. But Eve said to the devil or to the serpent, you shall not touch it lest you die. So don't raise your hands, all right? Don't raise your hands when I ask you this question. But think about it because we probably all can say that we've done this. But have we, have you ever exaggerated, stretched the truth, rounded up, And hoping that you presented yourself with enough confidence that nobody would catch it. I mean, that, that's we all want people to think we're smart, so we we kind of stretch truth sometimes. But did you know that stretching the truth is a lie? It's a lie, and we've all done it. And so when when Eve said this. She said, you know, we can't even touch the tree. We, we, can eat, we can't eat of it, but we can't even touch it. I think that's a good plan to have, but it's not a good plan to say that. Because the minute that she lied, she began to justify herself because she could feel the guilt and the shame coming. Even before, even before she ate, she could feel the guilt and the shame being to begin to release into that place. See, Eve's exaggeration opened up the door to the lies. Because in verse 4, the, the, the enemy, um, the, the serpent, said, You shall not surely die. You shall not surely die. He said, you, God's just afraid you'll get as much information as he has. He said, he just, he just wants you to, to know if you eat of it, you'll just, you'll just know as much as God does. You'll know the difference between good and evil. Did you know that they didn't know evil? There was no evil there yet, but it's fixing to, it's fixing to drop. It's fixing to drop. When the devil said that, or the serpent said that, um, surely, the word surely means that he did not um, he knew that death was not a part of God's mode of operation. Life was a part of God's mode of operation. He was there to give life. He was there to transfer life into Adam and Eve and that they would begin to transfer life into the garden. Amen? There was no death. But as soon as he said that, as soon as the enemy said that, he knew that it wasn't a part of God's mode of operation, his M.O., and verse 6, verse 6 is where uh, Eve's perspective began to change. Her perspective. 
Because it says that she saw, she saw that the tree was. She saw that the tree was. Number one, good for food. Number two, pleasant to the eye. Number three, desirable desirable to make one wise. Three things happened. When she saw her perspective changed on the whole garden, that one tree became her focus. And when that one tree became her focus, she saw that it was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye, and it was desirable to make a person wise. And the, and the serpent's saying, that's why God don't want you to eat it is because you'll be as smart as God. You won't even have need of God anymore because you'll be as smart as him. This was the original undoing. The original undoing that affected the inherent nature of God. We've all got this inherent nature of God. Everyone who is born of Adam, that's everyone, you have an inherent nature. That's why there's, when there comes a time that somebody shares the gospel, when somebody tells you what Jesus did for your life, that, that there's something on the inside of a person that says, I want that. I want that. That's the inherent nature of God. But there's also something that upset the inherent nature of God on the inside of us. And it was because Eve saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye, and it was desirable to make one wise. And we all still deal with that today. We deal with the same syndrome that Eve brought. When she did what she did and gave to her husband, and when they two, both of them, really when Adam took a hold of it and, and didn't rebuke his wife, Adam was smart. You don't rebuke a woman. If Adam would have done it, it would have been okay now. Are you all here today? We still deal with the same thing that Eve saw, the perspective that she saw from. Because in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, I want you to hear this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says, "All For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it is of the world. Remember in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to the world, because what the world has to offer is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You place those three things on top of what Eve saw, and you got the same problem, Old Testament, New Testament. It's the same thing. And when we begin to look at this pattern, we begin to realize that the pattern molds our minds into a life of undoing, conforming us to the world. I was listening to a podcast the other day by a guy out in California. Um, As a matter of fact, his church is in Hollywood. It's on Hollywood and Vine, the corner. And so he, he ministers to superstars, music stars, Hollywood stars, and just general people of California who live in, in that area. But I was listening to his uh, podcast, and, and he, he said this, and, it, and it, it made me stop. What I, 
I was actually on the roof of my mom's house with a blower blowing out the gutters. This is what she asked me to do when I come. Um, anyways, I was on, I was on her roof blowing out her gutters with the blower and I, I heard this guy say this on this podcast. He said that the enemy is not after our spirit and the enemy's not after our body. The enemy is after our soul. He's after our soul. That soul is our mind, our will, our emotions, those thought capacities and, and the things that, that help us make decisions. That's where the enemy is because he knows that if he can destroy your soul, that he can destroy your spirit and your body. He has access to your spirit and body if he can get you thinking. Amen? Amen. Have you ever had one of those deja vu moments? Like you've been there before? That was just, just now it happened. I, I preached this before somewhere. I'll try to preach better than I did last time then. See, it's those patterns. It's that pattern of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. It's those patterns that, that causes us in our humanity to sell out or to, um, Give ourselves to the enemy. And because we do that, because we can, we're, it's easy for us to do because we live in this world. It's, we gotta understand we live in this world, but we're not of this world. Amen. And if you can understand that, this world will not get to you and conform you. You can avoid that. You can stay away from that. But the fact of the matter is, is that the patterns of us selling out, uh, selling out ourselves to the enemy makes God see that we need redemption. That's why he sent Jesus to the cross. That's why Jesus died on the cross and his blood paid for us. He bought us back. It's redemption, buying us back from what we've sold ourselves out to. Satan mirrors to us in what he did to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And he still uses the same tactics today. Satan ain't got nothing new. He, he ain't got nothing new. It's the same old stuff. Same stuff, different day. Just to try to get us into a place where we sell ourselves out to the enemy. Where we eat the forbidden fruit. Where the things of this world become good for food, pleasant to the eye, and desirable for wisdom. And when we think that we need that, we sell out. It's time to stop selling out. It's time to receive the redemption. The price has been paid. It's time. Because the enemy still uses the same tactics. And it's time for us to see that there is a transformation that God wants to take us through so that we are not conforming ourselves to this world. Amen? So when Adam and Eve, when they ate that forbidden fruit, it was not about the fruit. It was about the obedience or the disobedience that took over, that that sat in that place. And and when that happened, when that disobedience came, the fullness of the weight of, of guilt and shame entered in to the point that their response, Adam and Eve's response to God when God showed up and said, hey, where are you? 
they described what they felt they had lost. Because they went and hid in the bushes. They made for themselves clothes and then went and hid in the bushes. So that when God came walking that day, they, they felt so guilty and shameful that they did not step out into his presence, but they hid themselves from his presence. And they're, they're, they're not giving themselves to him like they did every other day when he came walking, when he came walking in the cool of the day. And their response was because of what they had lost. So over the next few weeks, I want to talk to you about this, what they, what they lost in the garden. There are three valuable aspects to relationship with God, relationship with others, relationship with ourselves. There's three valuable, valuable aspects to that. And those three things is the presence of God, the power of God, and the glory of God that he has given us. Amen? The presence and the power and the glory, that's exactly what Adam and Eve lost. That's what they felt when the guilt and shame came. When the weight of guilt and shame hits, like Adam and Eve, we become aware of or we sense a void in our relationship with God. Have you ever done that? I mean, be honest. I mean, something goes wrong, something we do, something that, that, that we know is not of God, something that we do, we sin. All right, let's just put it on the line. We sin. And when we sin, there is a void of, through guilt and shame that comes to us. There is a void that we feel this separation from God. Separation from other people. Separation from ourselves. We don't even like ourselves. One of the big things that I went, this is not in my notes, but, but when I went to Georgia in 2017, after I'd been diagnosed, I went to Georgia to Dr. Henry Wright's church there. He did kind of a healing type of school thing. I was there for two weeks. And the first thing that we learned in that time is that sin in the world whether you sin or whether somebody else sins, sin in the world will release guilt and shame into our lives, which releases separation, a feeling of separation, a gap, a void of separation, a chasm of separation, right? Y'all experience that? We've all experienced that. And so God the Father doesn't act on even what we feel. He doesn't act. He presses in. I mean, I don't know where he was before he came and walked in the cool of the day with them. I don't know where he spent his time. But when he came to walk in the cool of the day, he expected that relationship. And and he knew, he knew, he knew that something had happened. But he's walking. And he goes to the same spot that he goes to every day to meet them, and they're not there. They're hiding in the bushes. They're hiding in the bushes. This is what I want you to see is God don't back off from your sin. He doesn't back off. He doesn't. He pursues. He pushes in because he wants us to get right. He wants us to feel that relationship, the right relationship with him, so that when we... when we feel that separation, he's going to, hey, I love you anyways. I love you. I love you. I love you. He's following us around. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yeah. Come on. Come on. 
You can take a thousand steps away from God, but it only takes one to get back to him, and that's the turnaround. Lynette well, had uh, read Psalm 23, and it's in Psalm 23 that says, For surely good, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's that place when we start feeling separation that we've got to turn around and get that goodness and mercy. Amen. Amen. Look at uh, verse 8 again. <clears throat> verse 8 says, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I like what one translation says. It says that God came walking on the wind. Came walking. He came walking on the wind. That's cool. Anyways, um, it says, walking in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and he said to him, where are you? Like God didn't know. But he wanted to own his stuff. He wanted Adam to own his stuff. So that's when he asked the question. It wasn't that God didn't know. He wanted Adam to own his crap. Amen. <clears throat> so the Lord said, where are you? So he, Adam, said, <clears throat> sorry about that. I should have turned my mic off to do that. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, I hid from your presence. I didn't want to be in your presence. There's something that happened to me that I don't feel that I, that you'll understand. One of the hardest things for us to do is when, when we have that guilt and shame, that, that hiding, that void that we want to hide from the Lord, it is one of the hardest things to do is to come out of our darkness and step into his light. It's hard. It's tough. It's like stepping out of a dark movie theater and stepping into the sun. It, it, it hurts. It's almost painful that the brightness is so bright. And so we don't want to feel that pain. But God is going, I'm the only one that can take care of it. I'm the only one that can heal your pain. I'm the only one that can forgive what you've done. You need me and I need you. Amen. He presses in. And we can only do it we can only step into his light when we genuinely have confidence in our resting in him. Because for us to step into his light, for us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, it is not a laborious thing. It's a thing that genuinely happens when we step into rest. When we're in that rest and we're in that peace, It's not about the performing. He said, we got to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. What is that? That's daily getting in your word, getting in this book. Daily we do that, but we don't daily do that to perform and show God how cool we are and how good we are. If you're doing it for that reason, you're doing it for the wrong reason. Because resting in him is just about, it's just about coming to him. He is the word of God. He is that is our that is the key relationship that we have with him i mean there's other other things that that prove our relationship but that is key to transformation because our minds our mind will our 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 thinking the way we think our minds our will our emotions that's our soul and god says i want to renew your soul because if the enemy gets a hold of your soul he'll destroy everything you got conforming to the world 
And that's not where we need to be. Genuine coming back into God's presence genuinely is about resting in him, not about working the system. It's not about working the process. Well, if I read two chapters today, well, if I get through the Bible in a year, God's going to like me better. He ain't going to like you better. He likes you enough now. He loves you with a love that you can't even understand, that I can't understand. So it's not about what we can do. It's about just resting in who he is. And when we rest in who he is, transformation begins to take place. Amen. That's good preaching right there. <laughs> See, God knew already. And when he showed up at the same spot that he walked with them every day, he showed up and he knew the atmosphere had changed. Something didn't go right. Something is going on with my kids. And it was called guilt and shame. Adam and Eve were not where they usually were. They were hiding in the bushes. Said they were hidden among the trees. But God didn't run and hide from their presence. Adam and Eve ran and hid from his presence. And God is saying, my presence is still here. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give you up. Never going to give you up. <laughs> I just want to do that so it'd be playing in your head all the way home. God ain't giving up on us. He's pushing into us. He's pushing into who we are. Look here. We're going to read verse 10 again. It says, so he said, Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden and was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he, God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to, that you should not eat, not eat from? Then the man said, the woman, man, talk about a bus ride. I mean, he got on the bus, got in the driver's seat and ran over Eve himself. He said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Shifting the blame. We're so good at shifting the blame. It's them. It's them. It's them. No, you don't get to play the victim here. You own your stuff. You own your stuff. And as I was reading this, I started thinking, this is a conversation from the bushes. He, God don't see him, still don't see him. And Adam's hiding behind the bush. Well, it's a woman. It's her. She gave it to me. I didn't have no, con I cannot control that woman. I can't control her. God, you made her. Take her out and make her another one. Kill her, God. But it was from that moment that God began to process the process of re restoring his man. God wants to be with us. God wants to be with us. God wants to be with you. God needs to be with you. He needs you. He loves you so much. He desires to be with you. When my son went to Texas for an internship and he had been in my house for 19 years, 18 years, I, I, it, it, it hurt my heart to know that he wasn't there. It hurt my heart. 
And God is the same way. He wants, he needs his kids. But when we have the mindset, the guilt and the shame going off on the inside of us, making separation from God, we're separating from him. He's not separating from us. But if we play the victim just a little bit longer, we can justify ourselves that God don't want to be around us. And that is not true. That is a lie from the pit of hell. It was, ne- but man was never meant to know evil. See what the, what the enemy said to, to Adam and Eve. He said, if you eat the fruit, you'll be like God and you'll know good and evil. God never meant for us to know evil. God never meant for us to know what evil was. There was no need in the, in the creation that God made. There was no need for evil there. That's why it was wrapped up in a tree to not be eaten. Right? It's, it's not for... Listen, evil is everywhere. Now. It wasn't back then. But evil is everywhere. That's, that, it is evil that supports every news program that we watch. Because in a 30-minute news thing, we hear 29 minutes of evil and a minute of good. They have to throw a good good in there somewhere just to give themselves the pleasure of knowing that they've got people watching and waiting. But evil was not a part of what God wanted to say, what God wanted to do in our lives. We were never meant to know evil. Evil always emits a weight of guilt and shame. But this is what we got to know is God's presence always emits an antidote to evil. And that antidote to evil is called joy. Joy. Joy is goodness. Joy is happiness. Joy is forgiveness. Joy is peace. Joy, true joy, can only be found in that place of rest when we put ourselves in that place of rest because every God's presence emits the antidote to evil and it's joy. Psalm chapter 16 verse 11 says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Did you see that? In your presence is fullness of joy. God wants to restore the presence that Adam lost, and he wants to restore it in your life. Amen? Amen. Resting in his presence is all about joy. You're going to have joy. Joy. Not just joy by itself, but the fullness of joy. What is the fullness? It is the goodness. It is the peace. It is the happiness. It is, it is everything that you want is in his joy. Amen? Amen. Psalm chapter 17, verse 15 says this, As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. That is being in his presence, right? Seeing his face is in his presence. I will see your face in righteousness, and I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. That's what I love about this thing at Asbury University and things that are spreading. I heard it spread to Texas A&M. And they need it down there. It is, it is that thing that it's an awakening. 
It's an awakening. And when we get into that place where we're seeking God's presence, all of a sudden we begin to wake up. I'm not talking about a woke culture. I'm talking about an awake generation. Amen? An awake generation. And a generation that's waking up and not finding any any reason to shut things down but to press further into God because God is walking in the cool of the day and he's wanting to walk with us. He's wanting to be in there, wanting us to, to be in his presence so that he can be in ours. Yeah. Yes, yes. Psalm 21 verse 6 says, For you have made him most blessed forever. You have made him exceedingly glad with your presence. Exceedingly glad. And Psalm 65, come on up, Brett. Psalm 65 verse 4 says, Blessed is the man you choose and the cause and cause a approach that you uh, to, and let me start over because my brain is not kicking here. It says, blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach you, that he may dwell in your courts, and we shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. There is a place that we need to be. You know, the, the, the temple is not there in, in Israel anymore. It's, it's, it will be rebuilt before Jesus comes back. But the thing about it is, is we are the temple now. We are that temple. And we have to be in this place where we're exceedingly glad, where that we're satisfied with the goodness of his house. We got to be satisfied with us. When you've got guilt and shame leading you everywhere, you can't be satisfied with you. When the lawyer stepped up, to Jesus and said, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said, and there is another one like it that says to love your neighbor as you love yourself. You can't love God or your neighbor until you love yourself. That's the separation. That's the void. And the only way we can get rid of the void is to know that God has redeemed us, has bought us back. And has called us into his presence. And when we're in his presence, then the fullness of joy, the gladness of who he is, comes back together. And we can be alone with ourselves, alone with other people, and alone with him. Because it's about his presence. Last scripture I'm going to read to you. It's over in 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. And I'll close with this today. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been received what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him and we shall see him as he sees us. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. We have been given the power. We have been given the honor of being able to transform our lives in him by the renewing of our mind because when he shows up on the scene he wants to see 
anytime God shows up in his presence, he wants to see that we are free from guilt and shame, that we're not hiding from his presence. We're good hiders. Don't be a good hider anymore. When there's sense of guilt and shame in your life, give it to him, own it, and give it to him because he's redeemed it and his blood will continue to redeem. It's not that we have to put Jesus back on the cross. That's not what we're doing. But we're taking and and appropriating what he's already given us. Amen? We appropriate what he's already given to us because that will restore his presence in our life. I love that definition of metamorpho. It's the process of transformation from a crude, unrefined form to a pure, uncontaminated form in multiple stages. God says, trust the process. Trust the process. It's just a process. Our transformation in God's eyes starts a renewing or renovation to our mind. And we can only be genuinely transformed in the rest of his presence in the rest of his presence. It's not our task of performance, but the rest of his presence. Amen? God just, God simply just wanted Adam and Eve, no matter what they look like, even if they were naked, he wanted to bring them in and redeem them. And eventually that happened. Eventually. But no more today, starting today, wherever you're at with your relationship with God, no more conversations from the bushes. No more conversations from the trees. No more conversations from your closet. You know, when Jesus said, you know, when you pray, go into your closet, it's not a dark closet anymore. If Jesus is there, if God's presence is in that closet, it's not a dark closet anymore. Let him into the room of your house that you've thrown everything that you don't want everybody to see, that you've pulled the blinds on. Let him into that room in your heart because that's where he wants to be. He wants to be in that place that you're not talking from the bushes. You're not conversing with him from the bushes. You're conversing with him face to face in his presence. Amen. So over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to talk about this restoring of the presence, the power, and the glory of God. It's phenomenal. God wants to be there. He wants you to be in that place where you're expecting revival. He wants to be in that place where he can wake you up, get you out of the bushes, wake you up, and get you going in a place of transforming your mind and conforming to the image of his dear son. Amen? You receive that today? If you receive that today, I want you to say this. I'm coming out of the bushes. <laughs>